I'll let you in on a little secret. Reaching your revenue goal won't change your life, but hitting your profit goal, that absolutely will. If you want to build a life-first business this year, you need to create more margin, both in your finances and in your schedule. If you're ready to double down on profit-generating strategies that actually work so you can work four-day weeks, go on real vacations, or even take the summers off, you won't want to miss this. In my free masterclass, Double Your Profit While Working Less, you'll learn exactly how to set your business up to scale so you can give yourself a raise, create a clear plan for how to work that dream schedule, and step into your CEO era, the one where you and your business aren't just surviving, but thriving. You can grab this free masterclass at www.jadeboyd.co backslash double your profit masterclass or go to the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Even if you don't know what you want to offer, you know what you're an expert in. Like, how can you just start teaching on that now for free to build that relationship later when you do have something to offer? Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast, a podcast about redefining productivity for the modern woman in business and finding ways to work smarter, not harder, in business and life. I'm your host, Jade Boyd. I'm an MBA, business strategist, and mentor who helps overwhelmed business owners simplify and scale their service-based businesses with strategy and systems. On this podcast, we'll explore simple ways to earn more while working less. If you're ready to scale your business, bring order to chaos, ditch the busy work, and make space for what really matters, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast. Today's episode is going to be helpful for the beginner entrepreneur and the seasoned entrepreneur alike. There are so many good things in this episode. And I am so excited to share this one with you from what to do if you lose your Instagram account to how to build your business working eight to 10 hours a week to how to scale your business to six figures before you quit your job. Holly is such an inspirational entrepreneur, business owner, podcaster, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her and her story and her strategies today. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to have you here today. And for anyone who hasn't met you yet, why don't you start by giving just a little introduction of who you are and what you do today? Yeah, so my name is Holly Haynes. I am in Columbus, Ohio. And I like to say that I help mostly women entrepreneurs build really full-time businesses on a part-time schedule, specifically without being dependent on a social media algorithm, which basically means you don't have to be tied to your phone all the time. I have a 22-year corporate strategy background, so I really worked uh, with Fortune 500 companies prior to this, really developing solid business strategy techniques to help you grow and scale in a way that makes sense. And so my passion is really figuring that out for people, but doing it in a way that is simple because I feel like you heard the word strategy and people start to panic and they're like, that's hard. I don't have a business background. And so I've really tried to dive in and keep it simple so that you can make an impact, but also make money and, you know, do it in a way that makes sense for your schedule and uh, your time. Because most of us start a business to, you know, have more time freedom. And what happens is we usually end up working way more than we ever thought possible and we burn out. And so I'm on a mission to make it simple and profitable. 
We are aligned in so many ways. And for everyone listening, you have to go check out the Crush the Rush podcast immediately. I'm definitely going to link it, but you have so many helpful episodes in those veins. And I definitely want to start out with how you started your business because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, specifically creative entrepreneurs, either get stuck in the mentality that I have to quit my job if I want to make this business successful or they side hustle for way too long without being able to make it into something that's sustainable that allows them to quit their job. And you scaled your business to six figures while you were still working full time. So talk to us more about what that looked like and what you're prioritizing during that time. Yeah. I mean, I've told the story before and I think I still can't believe it when like the words come out of my mouth. Um, So for me, I never thought that I would be able to replace my corporate salary with a business that I created. Like talk about like a mindset shift, Mm. but I had been working for 22 years. So it's like, I just, I never thought it was possible. So I went in with this notion of, well, it's going to be a side hustle. It'll make some extra income. And I really just wanted to do it to give myself something to do that I was like really passionate about. So at the time, January of 2020, I had twin girls, daughters who were in kindergarten. And when I told my husband, I wanted to like really start my own business. He just looked at me like, are you crazy? Cause I was already working like 50 hours a week of having Mm -hmm. twin kindergartners is a lot. And there was like zero time to do that. So I went into it with this notion of, well, I'm just going to create some extra income and make more of an impact so that my day-to-day life is just more enjoyable. Cause I wasn't, I didn't hate my job, but I wasn't like, I always ask the question of, can you do what you're doing for the next 10 years? And when I asked myself that about my corporate job, I was like, no, I have to find something else that's going to like help me through this. Right. So going into it, that was kind of the, the thought and I really did it backwards. So I hired a coach before I even had a business. I knew that I wanted to teach something around productivity, scaling business. I didn't really know what it looked like. Um, and so I hired a coach and I was like, tell me everything to do and I will do it. And I did, except we hit March now of 2020 And so I'm like, you know, $10,000 in debt right now for my Mm -hmm. business and the pandemic hit. And the one thing that we had decided that we were going to do was launch a podcast because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, if I build a community first, then I'll learn from those women and then I'll create something that I can teach that will help them. So we built the community first. The first episode of the podcast was live when the first case of COVID hit the United States. And I'm like, what do I do? Like I I'm teaching time blocking and literally the world is like shutting down. And I was like, Oh, this is not, this is not going to work. So my whole methodology is like, you put something out there and you pivot, you put something out there and you pivot. And so I just started talking about, and you'll hear it on the podcast. Well, how am I building a business in a pandemic? We're now homeschooling our twins in kindergarten, which I joke is like a phase that I never want (laughs) to repeat again. And so I just started sharing like very organically, this is what we're doing. And sort of layering in my expertise from a corporate strategy perspective. And it hit like people related to it, I think, because it's real and simple. And Mm. we built our product suite based off of the feedback that we got from the podcast. So how long did you stay in your job? So you had this idea, you hired the coach, you launched the podcast, you start building this community. At what point did you realize like, oh, this is going to be a six-figure business and I'm going to leave my job. You said that when you started out, that really wasn't what you were thinking was going to happen. Yeah. So the first year was 
interesting because I think like I was making some money, but also it costs money to run a business, which I think people tend to forget sometimes. Mm -hmm. So everything I was making, I was putting back into the business. And I would say about a year in, I was like, oh, I think this has some legs because we actually did it backwards and launched a mastermind first, which was a higher ticket. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I'd say like a year and a half in when we were like on the second round of our mastermind and people kept joining and we were, you know, everyone was doing pretty well in the mastermind. And I was like, oh, I think like I could really do this. Like, I think this has some legs. So I actually took my husband to a business retreat because he had no exposure to the entrepreneurial world. Like I, we're just in this like little bubble where we talk about like systems and strategy and Kajabi and ConvertKit and all these things. And yep. he's like, well, I don't understand what a lead magnet, I don't, I cannot understand what you're doing. And so I was like, well, if at this point I was like, I can do it, but he wasn't on board because he didn't understand what it, what it meant. Mm -hmm. Um, so my first step was sort of educating him on, Hey, there's other people that do this. There's ways that we can like get support. And here's my like big vision. So once I sort of realized it, then I was like, I actually have to open up and share to him, like what my vision is and like, how can we make this work for our family? So this was in November of 2022. I took him with me and then I put in my notice in December. So that philosophy worked yeah. because he saw like, oh, wow, like I can see you do this. And there's other people now that I also know who are doing this. So we put together a plan and um, yeah, I left my job in it was January of 2022. I'm getting all my dates mixed up, but it was about 18 months after we started. Okay. So. And at that point, had you hit six figures before you decided to put in your notice? Yeah. In revenue we had, um, but I think revenue is very different than profit. Mm. So we had in revenue, but we had really reinvested a lot back into the business. And I think that's why I was able to step away from corporate and then scale even faster because we already had those systems and that like outsourcing plan in place, which created the capacity for me to be able to create more. So that was one of our sort of methodologies was to create the systems first and the sort of structure of like, when I do step away, all this is already going to be running. So then I can, you know, create more. I think it's really interesting to hear where all of this fell chronologically and that you were yeah. almost at six figures and your husband was still like, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. And I think that's something that I think about often. I think a lot of times creative entrepreneurs complain that like nobody gets what I'm doing or people don't take me seriously, but it really is up to us to educate other people and to help yeah. them understand. Like we play a role in helping other people understand what we do, our clients and our friends and family. Yeah. And I would say I'm, so I'm an Enneagram three and I'm a manifesting generator if you're into all of that. And so work for me is easy. Like I like to work and it's how I deal with stress. So mm -hmm. I could literally sit upstairs and, you know, at nine o'clock at night, if I wanted to, and write like seven podcast episodes, and that would be fun for me, but I would never communicate why I'm doing it, what the podcast is going to do, how people are going to find me, how is that going to turn into income? And so once I started sharing like, Hey, if I create this, then this is going to happen. And then hopefully this happens. Then my husband started to see sort of like the bigger picture. Um, and then of course, from a revenue perspective, we're like, 
okay, well, you can't reinvest every single thing now that we're depending on this right. as a salary. So what does that look like? Sort of worked together to figure that out. So going back and seeing this thread, I think another thing that holds entrepreneurs back, you talked a lot about community and a lot of entrepreneurs will wait until they are like really good or have the perfect offer put together before they start talking about anything or sharing what they're doing or what they're envisioning. But you took the opposite approach and built the community first. And like you said, used them for feedback on what do you need? What types of offers are going to make sense? So what did it look like for you to build that community before you launched your offers? Yeah. I was just talking to one of my clients about this actually before this call. And that is, I think a lot of times we think we have to create the perfect offer. And what happens is, is we end up spending like two months, three months, four months, like making it amazing. And then we don't have anyone to offer it to because Mm -hmm. we haven't spent any time building that audience. And so you really need to flip the model and think about well, who do I want to offer this to? Who's going to buy it? And how do I connect with them first? They don't care if it's like in a fancy course or Google Doc or whatever. They just want results. And so what I like to teach and what we did was really think about how can you educate on the things that you're really good at to establish yourself as an authoritative figure in that space. And then people are going to learn to trust you and like you and communicate with you. And then when you do have something that can help them, it's a much easier jump as opposed to like, you know, working behind the scenes and not sharing anything and then putting it out there. And people are like, oh, well, nobody responded to me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that's because they don't know you. Like it takes a minute for people to trust you and actually be, you know, hand over their credit card. And so even if you don't know what you want to offer, you know what you're an expert in, Like, how can you just start teaching on that now for free to build that relationship later when you do have something to offer? So I think when we think community, it means different things. And there's a lot of different ways to build community. And people might think like a membership or a Facebook group or an email list. What did that look like for you to build that community? Like, where were they hanging out? And where were you talking to them at during that time? Yeah. So at the beginning, we had the podcast and I had a free Facebook community. I didn't love the Facebook community, but at the time I, I feel like that's where people were hanging out. And so I always, I always ask the question, like, where are your people hanging out? That's where they were. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they were listening to podcasts because my audience most likely has young kids and are working full time. And so they're driving to work or they're on a walk. Like podcast was the thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what community meant to me is how am I connecting with people and teaching them and sharing what I'm doing to help them for free. And so we were doing that through the podcast, the Facebook group, and then email. One of my like rules of thumb is I send at a minimum one email a week and I have for almost three years. Like I have never missed one. Mm. Um, And so it's just being really consistent with those things. And that's what created that community. That's a conversation I have with my clients a lot, like them asking the question, should I have an email list? Should I be blogging? And the answer I always give is like, what can you do consistently? Because Mm -hmm. no matter which platform you're using, you have to use the strategy with that platform and show up consistently. And I feel like we sometimes put ourselves in boxes on like only this platform is going to work because so-and-so is using it. But you can build community a variety of different ways. And so I love that you pointed out how it's changed and how you use different platforms too. Yeah. And I think for me also, like, and we can talk about social media, but like I didn't have time to post 17 times a day because I was literally in meetings with like our CFO. 
And I couldn't, it just, it wasn't an option for me. So Mm -hmm. I had to think about like, well, how can I be consistent and get my content out there so that I can educate and build this community in a way that works for my schedule? And for me, that was email and podcasting with sort of that like networking component in the Facebook group. Yeah, I definitely want to dive more into social media in a second. But before we go there, because I want to spend some time there, I want to talk about um, multiple offers. And you talk about the importance of having multiple income streams. And you mentioned that you started out with Mastermind. So what did that look like for you to progress from your first income stream to then the business that you have today where you have many income streams? Yeah. So the first thing I will share is, uh, well, my favorite example is like Reese Witherspoon, right? So if you look at like all the different income streams that she has, right? Like she's an actress, she's a producer, she's got her clothing line, she's got her book club. I mean, they say most billionaires have like seven to eight income streams. So for me, the first thing is because I was working full time, like my job was one income stream. And then, you know, my side hustle was my second income stream. But then within my business, I also wanted to create multiple income streams because I joke that like, I've only had a business in like a pandemic, a recession. Like, I don't, I don't really know where where we're at right now. Right. But like, it's nothing has been ideal. So I'm like, when it's the ideal time, like we're going to rock it, like we're going to be ready. So I started out doing a course, which actually like kind of was a bust because Mm. I thought that that's what everyone should do. I, you know, I think I had four people join and it was like $200. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to leave my full-time job with like making a thousand dollars. Like this is not going to work, but also it wasn't where my people were. So my, my -hmm. people were like, didn't have time to consume like 17 modules of something. And so taking that step made me realize, well, what's working for me. I always say like, typically you're your best client. So what's working for me? Well, I was in a mastermind. I hired a coach. And the reason I did is because I could streamline all that. Like I didn't have time to watch 17 videos. I just wanted somebody to tell me, like, tell me what to do in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And they did. Um, So that's what I created. Like I created what was working for me and pivoted from this sort of like the course still exists. If you're in, if you're one of my clients, you might see pieces and parts of it, but we don't talk about it very much. <laughs> but we sort of moved into this mastermind model where I could teach on a schedule that made sense for me, but it was also helping my clients sort of like streamline the process because that's what they needed. And so we started from the top down. And the way that I sort of explain that is if you think about like creating multiple product lines or services, I like to think about how do you help somebody at different levels. So whether it be beginner, intermediate, or advanced, you can't create them all at once, but we started with the advanced level of like, I'm going to go up high. So typically that's like a one-on-one or a mastermind or like a high ticket group coaching program. And then the next step was we actually went to the other end and said, if you're a beginner or intermediate and you can't join the mastermind, like what can you do? Let's create a membership. So we created a membership Again, it was helping me streamline my time, but it's sitting there for people who, you know, couldn't invest in a mastermind, but still wanted some help. And then just this past year, we sort of added that like intermediate piece. We call it antisocial school. And it's about really the building your community and that like visibility methodology that sort of helped me be able to roll this out. But I, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, I think a lot of times you put something out there and you're like, but nobody's buying. And it's because we forget to build the audience first. Yeah. So it's sort of that beginner, intermediate, advanced approach of what that looks like. 
Want to find a better way to tackle your to-do list? I created the task batching workbook just for you, the busy business owner trying to stay on top of all the things in your business. This workbook will take you through my step-by-step process for batching my tasks so you can free up time, stress less, and say goodbye to the dozen sticky notes cluttering up your desktop. You can grab the workbook for free using the link in the show notes or visiting www.jadeboyd.co backslash task batching workbook. That's www.jadeboyd.co backslash task batching workbook. In just a few short minutes, you can make a plan to batch your tasks and schedule them in your calendar. Get started by heading to the show notes and grabbing your task batching workbook today. So how many income streams do you have today in your business? You know, I knew you were going to ask that question and I didn't count. (laughs) So we have a planner and we have some like one-off master classes. So that's two. And then we have our club, our anti-social school and mastermind. And we, I do do some one-on-one, so like seven maybe. And how has it been? I feel like another mistake that creative entrepreneurs jump to is I want to make more money. Therefore, I immediately need to create new offers. Like if I want to yes. increase my revenue, I have to do something new. And it's good to have multiple revenue streams. But like you said, you have to be strategic with what the offer is and who it's for and structure offers in a way that they make sense together. And so I guess my question is, how did that progress for you in your business? You said you went from top down, but when it came to even services versus physical planners, what did that decision look like for you? And what was the strategy there? Yeah. Well, if I'm being honest, there was no strategy behind the planner. I honestly just always wanted to create one. (laughs) We have a strategy now, but when I first did it, I was like, I don't care. I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I just want to do it. And so we did it. So I'll, I'll come back to the planner, but I would say with the question of like, you always feel like you have to create something new when you go that beginner, intermediate, advanced route, you're actually teaching the same thing, but you're teaching it at a different level. Mm-hmm. So like the beginner might be a master class and it's like done for you. The intermediate might be the master class class plus a group training, plus maybe a little bit of access to you. And then the mastermind might be the master class plus access to you plus a one-on-one So you're teaching the same thing, but it's just at a different level. So you're not always having to create something new. Mm -hmm. The other sort of rule of thumb that I love is what I call the 80-20 rule. And that is 80% of your income comes from 20% of your clients. So when we were teaching the mastermind and that was the only thing that we had, I was like, hey, what's the number one question that they're asking? Well, how do I get started? Okay, well, you need a signature method. So that's one of our master classes now of like, how do you create a signature method? It's sitting in our mastermind portal. But if you're in the mastermind, I'm going to help you come up with yours mm-hmm. as opposed to just watching it yourself. Right. So you can really use your current clients to figure out what that next thing is that you need to create. And most likely it's something that you already have. You just need to maybe repurpose it a little bit differently. Yeah, I think we really overestimate how different everything needs to be and how much extra work we have to do to create something valuable because we can't see how valuable things are when we know them so well. And so to break it up like that, that's really helpful to envision like, okay, the mastermind with this class, but then you can pull the class out without having to do something extra. Yeah. And I think we're in a world where we can only consume so much. So if you have like a course that's 800 modules, like I would encourage you to go look what are people actually consuming? Like when we first rolled out our club, it had so much in it. And I was like, you know what? People aren't consuming this. So Mm -hmm. we scaled it back, but scaled it back in a way where, Hey, this month we're focusing on this. And then next month we're focusing on this because 
we're all busy. So if you can help your clients focus without getting distracted on, you know, all kinds of different content, actually having less is probably more. Yeah. And it's difficult to make that decision. It seems easy in concept. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to create less. So easy. But everything seems important when you're making that outline of what you should include in your course. And same thing for memberships. The number one reason people leave memberships too is that they're overwhelmed. There's too much information. Yeah, exactly. Most of the time, people just want a space to ask questions, honestly. Yeah. Just give me what I need. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. We all feel like that. Yeah. So I do want to get into social media and your anti-social school. And I want to go back to when was the first moment when you realized or have you always known that you didn't want to build your business on social media? So I think I knew at the beginning. Um, I had dabbled in network marketing before this. And I think I I just resented some of the things that I was taught. And I knew mm-hmm. that, again, going back to my original question, like, can you do this? Can you do what you're doing for the next 10 years? Like I did not want to be on my phone period. Mm -hmm. Like I had young kids, like I could see the impacts of me sitting on my laptop at the kitchen counter and how they like would start to resent when I was working. So I knew I had to do things differently. Uh, Did I know that I was going to have a program called anti-social school? No, but the way that we were able to grow so fast was it's not that we don't use social media. It's that it's like the second act. So I was just talking today, like a new platform came out for Instagram. It's like, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's Instagram came out with something new. And it's like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I need to do this right now. And I'm like, Mm. social media is not your business strategy, right? It's not like, where do my people hang out? How am I communicating with them? How am I establishing myself as an authoritative figure? What it is, is a place for you to share it. And so the whole sort of methodology is that you create long form content that lives on like a podcast or a blog or an email, and then you repurpose it to social in a way that makes sense for your schedule and for what you want to do. And then you layer on this visibility strategy. So people find you and social media acts as like a magazine. It's like the highlight reel of what you're doing. And then you have a very healthy relationship with social media. And then if, you know, if your account gets taken down or something new comes out, like you don't have to panic because you have a plan A, which is your strategy. And the plan B is social media. Mm-hmm. So how much time would you say you spend on social media these days? Um, I probably spend. So right now my team actually repurposes all my content. So if you see a post on social media, it comes from somewhere else. Nothing originates on social like ever, which is pretty fun. So I would probably say 15 to 20 minutes a day. I usually answer messages. Are you Um, showing up on stories too? I do show up on stories. Yeah. I'm very strategic with them though. So I know like, Hey, this is what I want to share today, or I'll just do it for fun. And then I'm done. And I actually have a, have an iPhone and you can set. So your apps will gray out after a certain amount of time. So mm-hmm. I have it set. So if I use my allocated time, they gray out. Like I have to actually hit like two or three buttons to actually get in the app. And then I have my phone automatically turn to do not disturb mode at seven o'clock at night. So everything's grayed out and just really helps set some boundaries. But again, it goes back to most of my content originates from a podcast or a blog post or something that I'm controlling that people can see. Mm-hmm. And then it just gets repurposed to social. And at the beginning, I did it myself. That's always been my yeah. sort of strategy. 
So for the entrepreneur who right now has a big audience on Instagram and their business really depends on that, how do they go from that type of strategy and transition to a long-form content-first strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there are very successful businesses that run solely off social media. So I would say just flip the model. Just flip it. If you have really awesome content on social, like what can you do to repurpose it in other places? Like one really easy strategy that we do is every post that we put on Instagram, we use Zapier to write it to a spreadsheet. So if our Instagram account gets shut down, like we've got this whole bank of content that we can reuse or repurpose or whatever. So I would just encourage you to think about like, one, what's your ultimate goal? Like if you love social media so much and you want to spend hours on it, then, you know, it probably is the the place for you, but also like you can have so much more exposure. You could 10 X mm-hmm. your exposure if you repurpose it to other platforms. And there's so many different ways to do that now, either from, you know, doing it yourself or AI, or there's so many tools that can like chop videos up and like write text for you. Like there's just a thousand different ways that you could repurpose it. Absolutely. Repurposing is so powerful. I think another fear that comes to mind when we talk about repurposing is I don't want to just say the same thing over and over again. Like if you're releasing a podcast and then there's a blog and an email and then all of your Instagram posts, it's like all the same thing. So talk to me a little bit. I'm assuming your podcast is your primary platform that you're repurposing. What does that look like? It's the same thing. So the podcast episode gets turned into like 15 different forms of content. It's like three social posts. It goes to LinkedIn. It goes to Pinterest. It gets turned into two blogs. We turn it into an email. Probably forgetting some things. But it's the same message. But here's why it's totally okay. One, it looks a little bit different. So like the three Instagram Mm -hmm. posts, like one might be a carousel. One might be a reel. One might be like a static quote. Some people read the email, some people see it on social, some people listen to the podcast, but also you typically have to say something. I think it used to be like seven times for it to resonate. Now it's like 56 or something crazy. Mm. So it's like, it's okay if they hear you say the same thing over again, because they might've caught like a little snippet the first time. And then the next time they'll catch another snippet and they're like, oh, she's really consistent. Like this must actually work. There must be a strategy here. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I actually like when people call out, they're like, oh, I like, I saw your Instagram post on this and then you shared an email about it. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's really the same thing, but I'm glad that it was helpful. (laughs) So are you repurposing all of that within the same week that your podcast goes live or are you spreading that out over time? Um, it's mostly in the same week. I would say when I was doing it myself, it was a little bit slower, but now between like, like AI apps and things like that and our team, it's all coming out like the same week. So you'll literally see like three posts that is the same topic right next to each other. Which again, you might need three reminders that I should listen to that podcast episode. Exactly. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about if our Instagram account were to go away and it actually did recently and you are working on building up that Instagram presence again. So talk to me a little bit about what that journey has looked like. It's every entrepreneur's worst fear. I know it's disappeared twice. The first time was in the summer during one of our like big launches. And I remember my team like, Holly, I think something's wrong. And if you've ever like hosted a retreat or something like that, like video is a really big deal and like having people share and tag. Right. And it went down and it was down the whole weekend. So we just resorted to email again. Like it was our plan A and social media was a plan B. It came back that time. 
Um, the last time it went down was earlier this year and it, we were offline for about six weeks and it didn't come back for like three months. So I had to really think about like, well, is the universe trying to tell me something? Like I really need to teach antisocial school more <laughs> or like, what do we do here? And so I actually started a new account um, because it had been a while. We did have this whole repurposing strategy sort of already mapped out. Um, and I like the new account better. So the old account came back with like 14,000 followers, but, and I kept the new account, which I think we have like maybe a thousand followers. Now it gets better engagement. It has a, a, like a more sort of focused audience. And so I was like, I'm just going to use this as the test to show that you can have a multi six figure business without a ton of followers. So we kept the new account and then we repurposed the old account going back to like, Hey, let's have a strategy around this. And we used what I call a nine grid. You've probably seen it where it's like nine squares and it just highlights our journey. Right. So I talked about the beginner intermediate advanced journey. So as a consumer, you can look at that and we have freebies that we have created at each step of the journey of ways that I can help you based on where you're at. So we repurpose the old account. It kind of is just sitting there and started a new account, but it was stressful for like a second because you're like, oh man, what happened again? Mm -hmm. But then it's like, well, it's okay because I have email, I have the podcast, we have all these other things. And so we really used it as a teaching tool to share that like you don't have to have a lot of followers to make a big difference and you don't have to spend hours on social to make a decent profit. I think I want to pull another lesson out of everything that you just shared. There's so many good tidbits in there. But I think as entrepreneurs, when we have terrible things happen, like losing an Instagram account or yeah. something that's out of our control, it's easy to go to just like the darkest place in your mind and think like, this is so hard. I can't believe this. Like, is this even worth it? But then to see in your own business what has come out of that and teaching entrepreneurs how to set up their business in a way that they're kind of immune and protected from things like that, that are totally out of their control. And just all of yeah. the good things that have come from that, from so many yeah. women, like building more sustainable businesses, getting their time back, having more engaged time with their family, like all of those benefits that you mentioned. And so it's really encouraging to me to see those worst case scenarios. And I'm always just so lit up when entrepreneurs share the hard things that have happened in their business. When you have that, like looking back perspective yeah. of like, oh yeah, it all worked out. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I won't, I mean, I say like, it was like a traumatic experience because mm -hmm. you do spend a decent amount of time, even when you are controlling your time. But I was like, you know what? Like we set this all up for a reason. So this is just the universe telling me that like, we're just going to do it a different way. Um, and hopefully that resonates with people who want to set up their business that way. So yeah. that's what we tried to do. And just not to be afraid to do things differently because mm -hmm. I find myself in that trap. I'm like, oh, I think I should do it this way, but I don't see anyone else doing it that way. But it's okay to try new things and do things differently. Yeah. And I'm not like anti-social, right? Like I'm not saying don't use social media. I think the, the message is use it in a way that will work for you. So you're in control and like not the app. Mm -hmm. For sure. So going back to what you said, when we first, first started the interview, when you're thinking about starting the side hustle, and you said that you had this belief that I have no time, like things were so busy in that yeah. place that you were in. And you now teach entrepreneurs how to build their business on eight to 10 hours a week. And so 
I know that my listeners hearing that are going to be like, oh my gosh, how? Tell me all of the things. So can you speak to that a little bit and what those eight to 10 hours look like? Yeah. So for me, I didn't really have any more time because I had a pretty intense job. And obviously my kids were, you know, at home and I always say like we're a teacher teaching them like to read and write and like life skills and I am not a teacher. And so like, it was a lot. So I went into this of like, okay, I have an hour, maybe two hours a day and that's all I have. So I have to make them the most out of my time. What, how do I do that? Um, so there are two main things that I did. One, I really sat down and said, when am I actually going to work on my business? So when am I sitting down where everything else is like turned off and I'm actually working on it? It sounds really simple, but most people do not map that out. So I would sit down on Sunday and I would say, okay, my working hours for this week are most of the time it was like six to seven 30 in the morning because it was before everyone was up. I could still like work without anyone bothering me. And it didn't get taken away. So for me, if I worked in the evening or in the afternoon, the chances of me getting interrupted were pretty high. And so the whole theory was, when can I be the most consistent and show up even if I only have one hour? So that was step one. And then step two is probably my favorite. And I still do it to this day is I set theme days because I don't want to wake up and it's just like waking up and like working out. Like you don't want to think about what the workout is. Mm -hmm. Like you just need to do it. And so I would set theme days to say, okay, Monday is my content planning day and I'm going to write as much content as I possibly can. Tuesday, I'm going to repurpose it. So I'm not trying to do it all in one day. I just know it's Tuesday. I'm repurposing. We're moving on. Wednesday would be podcast days. So I would try to schedule podcasts as much as I could on certain days. And then, you know, you can fit in whatever projects you're working on. Like if you're new and you're trying to build a website, like maybe Thursdays are website days. And so you work for 90 minutes on your website and then, you know, I'm not going to work on this again until next Thursday, but you could have a list going of these are the things that I want to work on. So I really stuck to the theme days. I still do it to this day. Like I only have client calls on certain days. I try to do podcasts on certain days and it really helped because I was able to be really, really consistent. And I would say, you know, one of my favorite quotes is consistency trumps talent. Mm. So most people are not consistent. It really mm -hmm. comes down to like the simplest things. So if you could show up and say, you know what, I'm going to write amazing content to establish authority three times a week then you're going to be further ahead than the person that does it for like eight hours one day and then doesn't revisit it for three months because mm -hmm. they're like burnt out and tired. Yeah. So that's really how I did it. And it adds up to eight hours. It's like one hour Monday through Friday on Saturdays. I have what I call my like creative time. And it was typically two hours where I would need time where I wasn't working in like 15 to 20 minute increments. Like it was like a bigger block. And then Sundays would be my planning days. So how has your time shifted now that you're in a very different role in your business and you have support in terms of repurposing content? What do your theme days look like today? Yeah, they're actually really similar. Um, I think my content creation is more around how do I serve my clients because I have more mm -hmm. clients and like, how are we strategically planning for what we want to deliver in the future? Like we're creating different things not new things, different. And then, you know, my whole goal of leaving my corporate job was like not to work more. So I try really hard to have super set business hours and then have 
free time. So like one of our goals as a family is to like travel once a quarter. And I always say like, not to grandma's house, but like somewhere really somewhere cool. Fun. Like we took yeah, the somewhere new. girls. Yeah. We took the girls to like England and Scotland this past fall. And like, what are some just different things that I can do, uh, that are not working. So it's not really that different. I mean, I probably work two to three hours a day now. And then obviously I have a, a few more client calls than I did in the past, but it's, it's similar, but different, I guess. Yeah. But two to three hours, that's like 10 to 15 hours a week, which is still amazing yeah. for the type of business and the size of business that you have. And I think yeah. it's always, I love that you can share those numbers specifically because I think it expands the belief of what is possible when it comes to running a business, because we can definitely get caught up and working and working and working. And there's always going to be more. Yeah. But so hard. if you take the time to decide what is truly important, if you know what is driving those 80% of the results that you just mentioned, it becomes a little bit easier <laughs> to choose yeah. what needs to get done. And I would say the other thing that's helped me is there's definitely seasons. And I share this on the podcast mm -hmm. a lot. Like there might be seasons where I'm working five to six hours a day or sometimes seven hours a day. Cause maybe my kids are in school and I have the time to do it and we're working on a project, but I know on the other end that it looks different. And so I think there's seasons of like a little bit of a push period maybe. And then there's like seasons of recovery, just like, you know, spring, summer, fall, right? Like winter is typically a season of recovery where spring is sort of like a season of growth. Um, and I think you see that in the business world, right? Like typically may is a really great month to launch summer tends to be a little slower. And then like September, the fall is like, mm -hmm. okay, we're ready. We want to get ready for the what's coming. And so you can think about your business and seasons as well. Like sometimes you might have a season of where you have extra capacity. So it looks different. And then you might have seasons where, you know, if you are working full time or something else is going on that it's a, a different season for your business. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. And even being aware every business is so different. So what somebody else's busy season is mm -hmm. might not be the same. And I know that I feel the guiltiest taking rest when the people around me are in their busy seasons, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when my husband has a super busy season at work and I have like a slow season, I feel like I need to be doing more, but that's not my season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just like thinking about like, I, going back to the question, like, can I do what I'm doing for the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. If you're in a busy season, the answer is probably no. And so mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this is just for a set amount of time. And then we're going to scale back and do something different. Yeah. So my last question, I'm really curious. I might be able to guess one of your answers, but I would love to know what three things were the most instrumental in your success as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I think the first one was asking for help at the beginning, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. For me, it was like just having someone that has done it before. And I would say the key to that is they had a business model that I wanted. So if you can find somebody that has a business model or even a lifestyle that matches yours, that's even better, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're striving for something that they have created. Um, so that would be number one. I think number two would be consistency, but I think it comes down to the systems and the routines that we put in place. And they're two different things. I think systems are like tools that help you and really figuring out like what tools work best for you and your personality. And then routines would be like, what are you doing every single day to be consistent? I guess. Yeah. So I got a plus on that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> the third one I would say is probably communication, which I actually mm-hmm. feel like I'm not great at. I'm getting better because I think when I started communicating out loud, the vision that I had and what I wanted to do and where I saw the business going, it happened because I was telling somebody and in this case, it was my husband. And then it's like, oh, well, what about this? Or what about this? And so it's like, instead of me thinking about it, I now have other people that are thinking about it and supporting that and like asking for feedback. And so you know, like I said, I like to work. It's easy for me to just sit down and just do it in like this little hole. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the most part, it would work out. But when I started sharing the bigger vision and communicating what I wanted to do, it, it grew exponentially faster. Thank you so much for being here today. There were so yeah. many good nuggets in this conversation. And I mean, I've already said it a few times, but your story is really inspirational in the business that you yeah. built, I think is very aspirational for a lot of entrepreneurs who find themselves in um, in a season of overwhelm, honestly. So to close, is there anything that you would say to the listener who is in one of those busy, overwhelming seasons or you know, perpetually stuck in that cycle? Yeah, I I think it's Jim Fortune who says this, and I'm going to get the quote wrong, but it's basically like what the actions that you're taking is what you're prioritizing. Mm. So if you're in a season of overwhelm, I always say, well, what is your priorities? It might not be your business. It might be something else, but whatever your actions are is what you're prioritizing, whether it's the thing that you want to prioritize or not. And so if you start to look at your daily activities, you're going to figure out what you're prioritizing really fast. And then you can look at that and say, is this aligned with where I want to go? And then how do I adjust? Yeah, which is hard. It's simple, but yeah, I know it's always simple, but it's like, oh, yep. I have to change this. <laughs> yep. So small steps every day, one action at a time is how you get right. there for sure. Well, thank you so much again, Holly. I really enjoyed this yeah. conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Business Minimalist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd rate it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Your rating and review will help more small business owners discover helpful episodes each week. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the tools and resources mentioned in today's episode, because good ideas don't grow businesses, action does. And if you want more Business Minimalist tips and resources, head on over to Instagram and follow me at jadeboyd.co. I'd love to hear what you took away from today's episode. I'll see you next time on the Business Minimalist Podcast. The number of women burning out is at an all-time high right now, and I'm on a mission to change that. If you're a service provider who's feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and underpaid, don't let another year go by staying stuck. The Business Edit is a 12-month group coaching program that helps you declutter your business from top to bottom so that you can have shorter to-do lists, a clear strategy to scale, and know exactly what to focus on each week to drive results in your business. You'll end the year with the business that you've been dreaming of building, one that gives you your life back and pays you more than you've ever made before. In the program, you'll follow my signature five-step method for scaling your service-based business. You'll get business minimalist strategy, marketing, systems, and productivity roadmaps that are simple to understand and easy to implement, plus 12 months of customized one-on-one coaching to help you every step of the way. Join me inside the business edit at www.jadeboyd.co backslash coaching 
and get my step-by-step blueprint with everything you need to build your dream business in 2024. Now back to the show.